What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 275 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening. It is Valentine's Day, and fear not, folks, we are here with a new podcast. I am joined by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. Redford, I have missed you, and I am ready to talk about some baseball with you. Yes, uh, it's been a little bit, uh, you know, there was, a, I, was, I think there's a lot to talk about this week, but we recorded in emergency fashion last episode with Scott and I on a Friday night because there was obviously big news to hit on and then nothing kind of rose to the level of emergency podcast this week so I want I wanted to get back on schedule for the most part but we'll be here on a regular basis if you're a new listener welcome aboard uh before we dive into some specific things uh I will just say this pitchers and catchers report this week this week Eric February 18th players will be there and that's that that's a weird reality to be in because I'm not prepared I don't think mentally for that but it's happening yeah, it's kind of snuck up on us because we've been kind of waiting for news on like the rules under which the ga- the game of baseball was going to be played, and we know I think it's fair to say most of those rules now. But uh, it was very we'll <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I mean, I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying there won't be changes because there might be. But you know, when you when those decisions are made, generally you're like okay, now we're about to. We have to wait a little while to get in the baseball, but I mean, it's it's right here, and you know we won't have you know a lot of really substantive things to talk about you know until we start hearing about spring training injuries, which is always a fun topic, um, as well as you know kind of getting into spring training games and kind of seeing who's going to be playing for what are is realistically not that many slots on this Braves team, so you know. But overall, I mean, I'm just I'm excited that baseball's like it's set to come back and like there's going to be real things to talk about rather than just you know looking at kind of really marginal roster choices at this point and then kind of hoping that they, they work out. We actually get to kind of see it play out on the field, which is going to be nice. Yeah. And we'll talk later in the podcast, probably in the second half about some stuff that the Braves still have to be doing in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but like I said, fe- February 18th is pitchers and catchers full squad workout on February 23rd. So we're nine days away from that as we're recording here. And then they open up with a game that does not count, but a game nonetheless, on February 28th against Tampa Bay. So we're two weeks away from that. Uh, stuff is going to be happening, and we will sort of launch into our preview, uh, normal preview schedule beginning after this podcast. So that's coming, as well as a full uh, slate of content on the written side over at the site. So check all that out. And yeah, so before we dive into the news this week, Eric, I have to open the floor for you because uh, obviously with Scott and I last week on Marcelo Zuna, not a whole lot has changed there, but Obviously, the DH stuff factoring in, there's lots of fallout from Ozuna, but I wanted to just kind of open it up to you and ask you what you thought about that move, because I know you tweeted about it, maybe wrote about it, but uh, not in this form. So what was your reaction to Marcel Ozuna? Uh, I mean, I'm obviously really in favor of the signing. It, it made all the sense in the world with a DH or without a DH, because there was an obvious hole in left field uh, that I was not particularly interested in being how one way or the other filled by endurance Yarte and or Nick Marcakis, I think that, that the Braves needed the extra bat. And a guy like Marcelo's, you know, look, I don't think he's going to be the same guy he was last year. Uh, if you if, if he is close to that guy, then the contract is already more of a steal than it is. But, you know, having that kind of that extra bat and making, you know, kind of taking the pressure off those top three guys is a pretty big deal, I think. And I, we saw that last year where we had, you know, you know, Ozzy would get got hurt, Ronnie got hurt. You know, Freddie was great all year long, but he could only shoulder so much of the the burden offensively. And having a guy like Ozuna who can kind of just carry a team for a week um, and really kind of be a, an important cog all season long, even if he's not like a perennial triple crown candidate winner, 
guy. He's still going to be a guy who can do a lot of damage. Uh, I was really happy that they brought him back. I was, I've was i been saying all offseason that they should bring him back. Uh, the number they brought him back at, I frankly am surprised they were able to get him at that you know, kind of that overall value. You know, going those extra years, I I assume was kind of the where that negotiation was. If, are you willing to take a shorter deal for more money, or you take a longer deal for less money per year? And you know, it seems like Ozuna really wanted to come back to the Braves. He had other offers from other teams, and he wanted to. He you know he even said so when he was talking on the same call with AA that was that you know. Tell me what the Braves are offering or what are they wanting to do now that the you know and this is the kind of discussions that were happening after the the first round of negotiations about the rules of 2021 were kind of set in stone where there wasn't going to be a DH. You know the Braves came back with an offer that was perfectly reasonable. I think I, that 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 you should be happy to be pay a guy of Marcelo Zuna's caliber that much money per year, uh, and even in total in total dollars, it's great. You know I was again it was just a very very good move, and I'm happy that it happened. Yeah, and that was where we were as well. I just wanted to give you the chance to do that on this podcast because it had been a little time. And sometimes you need like nine days uh, to process everything. This this was kind of an easy one, <laughs> I thought. But still, it's been a little right. bit of time, and there we go. Um, the only other thing with regard to the DH, because I mentioned that a second ago, was that um, it still seems like no DH. Uh, I know we talked about that last time, but every, every once in a while, uh, a national writer will kind of open the door a little bit and just say like, look, it's not over yet. That kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to ask you because it's you of course about Mike Soroka, uh, actual, actual news wise, Mike Soroka won his arbitration case this week and he's going to earn 2.8 million instead of 2.1. So congrats to Mike for the extra $700,000. Um, but there was a little bit of buzz about his, about his return, uh, his health status. Nobody has a full timeline at this point in time, but I wanted to ask you what you thought about this. I, I kind of posited this last week, I think at one point, but does he come back later because he has to run the bases and hit? Because that makes a little bit of intuitive sense to me. And they're already going to be careful with him, obviously. But it could be a couple more weeks, you'd imagine, if he suddenly has to run a lot. I think that there was already a pretty strong possibility that that first month of the season he wasn't going to play anyway, if that makes any sense. I think that they were more keeping the door open to him returning earlier than was expected if there was a DH. And then, you know, just but but with the idea that it was likely he was going to miss a month. But now it just seems like without the DH that that's going to be kind of the, the floor uh, as opposed to kind of the ceiling for how long he was being going to is going to be out. Because and again, it makes it makes all the sense in the world. You want to protect an asset like that. Um, he's one of your one of the best young pitchers in the league. You know, it's an, it's a, and Achilles is a really severe injury. And, you know, when you have you have some rotation depth that you can kind of lean on a little bit, especially early in the season. You can you can move you can move guys up from the via the Gwinnett shuttle if you need to. The guys that are already on the forty man roster. So if you feel like you need to kind of you know have Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, maybe even guys that haven't gotten their chance yet like De La Cruz or even a guy like Muller, if you want to give them some shots early on in the season while Soroka kind of rehabs and make sure that that Achilles is not isn't super tight and he doesn't cause him problems later on in the season, then they can do that. Um, I am a little. Again, I just I was the more the, the off season went on, there was already a lot of skepticism that he was going to be ready to start the season or, uh, like right away, right? So I feel like the kind of they were setting the expectation that he wasn't going to that he was going to start the season on the injured list, and with no DH, it makes it just that much more likely that that's going to be the case. I don't know if it necessarily changes the what the real what the real timeline is. I think that they were always going to be a bit cautious with him, and now they're just going to kind of be like locked in on. Even if he's throwing well, 
you know, he's still going to have to wait just to kind of make sure that that Achilles is strong. Yeah, so, I mean, the no DH hurts a lot of teams, but I think it's not necessarily great for the Braves. Uh, between Ozuna, of course, and the Soroka potential, I mean, obviously Max Fried's a good hitter, so I guess that maybe is a slight advantage, but uh, it comes and goes. I, I don't love the fact that the Braves and everyone had to plan without a DH or with a DH, and now they have to go no, back to no DH again. And Anyway, all that stuff, it, it's happening, it's out there. Uh, again, congrats to Mike on his extra money that he earned this week, but... <laughs> We will leave it there for now. Uh, there were two transactions that were non-Braves, but they were guys who were interesting parts of the last year or two for this team that are now signing elsewhere that I wanted to touch on real quickly here. The first of which was Adam Duvall signing with the Marlins. Uh, this is a pro Adam Duvall podcast, as we've said many, many times. Uh, and Duvall was a guy that I know Scott and I discussed last week because of the low number for Ozuna. I thought that might open the door for Duvall to come back to Atlanta. That is not going to happen. He signed for $5 million guaranteed with Miami. It's a bit of an odd structure. It's $2 million for this year, and then a $7 million mutual option for 22 that pays $3 million guaranteed if he's not on the team. So it's a Simple. bizarre deal. <laughs> it's wow. going to be worth $5 million over two years or $9 million over two years. Uh, so, okay. Um, I will say, this is pretty cheap, especially for this year. It's obviously pretty cheap for Duvall. I personally would have given him this contract. I know I'm higher on him than most, but what did you make of Duvall getting away at this relatively modest price? Uh, it's a couple things. One that it was, I mean, w under the assumption that there is no DH, you know, and Doppel's said point blank that Marcelo Zuna is the everyday left fielder, right? Yes. So, so I don't think if this was all a dollars thing from a Duvall perspective, I think the Braves would probably pay Duvall as much just to be on the roster because he's good enough to be, like it, as your as your fourth outfielder, like you pay him that all the time. Like we've paid backup catchers, you know, around that much money to play significantly less, not be as good as he is. But I think that he wanted playing time, and he can get that on the Marlins, and he wouldn't get that on the Braves. I think that the plan is just to give Christian Pache, you know, give him his shot. Obviously, no one's going to take playing time from away from Ronald Acuna Jr. And once you have Ozuna in that third spot, now if, I think if the if it had been announced. Early, I mean, again, this was, you know, talking in real time, this kind of happened, you know, one thing after the other. But if there had been an announcement there was going to be a designated hitter in the National League, I think that Adam Duvall would still be with the Braves. I think that they, then he would play in left, Ozuna would be your DH, and the lineup basically looks the same as it did last year. And, you know, that that's what I think would happen because, you know, for Duvall, he wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be too expensive and he'd be able to get the playing time that I think that he wants. And, We've seen what happens with Duvall when he doesn't get consistent playing time. That's just not a role that seemed to suit him particularly well. And I think that, you know, he's he he's earned the chance to at least get a lot get more playing time elsewhere. I, I don't think that the Marlins is an absolute perfect scenario for him necessarily, but it's kind of a weird contract and maybe it allows him to kind of continue to show that what happened last year wasn't a fluke where he went went wild for two and a half weeks and then was kind of pretty ordinary the rest of the season, which is frankly kind of what it looked like. But there's also, there's real talent there. He has real value. He's a good defender. And, you know, with that much pop, you want to at least kind of see what you can get out, get out of him before you kind of give him a long-term deal. And, you know, maybe prove that that small sample size, if you do it over a larger sample, he can actually provide value commensurate with being paid a little bit more than what he was. Because I'm with you. I thought he was going to make a little bit more money than what he, what he ended up signing for. But maybe this is a way for him to kind of, you know, kind of his make good deal, see if he can make a little bit more, make himself a little bit more money 
by just trying, signing a short-term deal with the Marlins, and then if he feels like he really breaks out there, then he can go into the next offseason and make some more money. Yeah, and, and like you said, I'm glad you brought this up because I think the playing time is really important. Uh, a lot of guys, uh, and rightfully so, want want to play. I mean, that happened with Jock Peterson earlier in the cycle where we were surprised by the number there and the destination, but they offered him a full-time job with no platoons, and it's like, well, that's appealing to a lot of guys that want to play. Um, I do want to have a quick postscript on the Adam Duvall era in Atlanta because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, he obviously had that horrific start back in 2018 oh, when he arrived, and that dragged down his numbers. But even with that in play, even with that included, he finished his Atlanta stint with an exactly a 100 WRC+, plus, which is league average. And when that guy's your fourth outfielder, that's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. in, the, in the last two seasons, he was genuinely good. He slugged a combined 545 in 2019 and 2020, he had 26 home runs and 339 plate appearances, so he was on pace for like 40-plus, and had a 117 WRC plus combined. I know a lot of his production in 2020 was that one hot stretch, but again, this is, you know, it's two seasons, but it's really equivalent of about one season in terms of his role, and he was an above-average player. Like, he was a very, very solid contributor. I know we sort of made it our brand to talk about how much we liked Adam Duvall, but it really ended up working out quite well, especially if you ignore 2018, but even if you bring 2018 in, he still did a pretty good job. Well, and there was the whole, you know, like once that trade happens, you know, there was just talk about how he was going to be better as a, as a better option, kind of really thinking that he could like turn back the clock like he was with the Reds. And then he was like truly terrible in a part-time role. And the, it didn't help that Preston Tucker and like, again, had a, had an Adam Duvall as cot stretch, honestly. Wow. Preston, it, Preston Tucker. What a name. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing back the hits. What a name. Uh, wow. He had, he had like you know a stretch of like two weeks where he had a couple of game winning hits and you know was leading the league in average and all this other stuff and you know no one's heard from him again so like, it's kind of one of those things where there was a, a, a confluence of events resulted in Duvall kind of not making the best first impression then he went to Gwinnett uh, and was hitting the crap out of the ball there gets called back up and you know the rest he was very very good I, I again I think Braves fans considering what they had to give up to get Duvall and what the overall, what the, what they needed from him over the last few years, he gave them that and more. And, you know, I'm, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, again, had some, had some really fun moments. Um, uh, notably when, you know, was one of the few players to actually show up and hit against the Cardinals in the series in 2019. And, you know, was really putting up some really stellar power numbers for the Braves and at least a short stretch this past year. So I hope he ends up doing really well for himself because, you know, he seems like a really, really, really nice guy. Fits in well, fits in well with basically any clubhouse. At least it seems like to me. And, you know, I hope he does well down there. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we talked about him for a second because he's not going to be back. And, uh, that investment, like you alluded to there worked out pretty well for the Braves. So a nice little uh, move on the margins. The other guy who is now going to be gone is Mark Melanson. He is going to San Diego to join the contending San Diego Padres, who are loaded, by the way. Um, he'll be 36 years old. Obviously, he's an older guy. We talked about him a lot in the last couple of weeks as a potential option still in the bullpen. He's not going to be coming back, obviously. He had a 3.30 ERA in the two seasons. Well, I guess one and a half seasons with the Braves. Um, there were some signs of decay on his stuff a little bit last year. He only struck out about 5.5 per nine, which is like very, very bad for a high-leverage reliever. But his ground ball rate was sky high and all that stuff. I'm not sure what he's going to be. I know he's not dominant. That's the one thing we do know right now is that he's not a dominant reliever. But, um, you know, he was an option that we discussed that I thought was a pretty, not likely necessarily, but a, a, certainly a possible 
bolster guy to the bullpen and the Braves haven't done anything else to add to their bullpen. So that was an interesting move as well. It stings less for me before I let you uh, weigh in here that he signed with a contender with the Padres. That makes it seem a little bit uh, less brutal for the, for the Braves. I actually, I'll be honest. I never saw the number on this. Did you see what, what he signed for with the Padres? Cause I didn't, it was like kind of weirdly how long it was taking and I, and I gave up looking for it, but it was like two days later and I hadn't seen the number for it. So yeah, it, had, it hasn't been announced yet. Um, I've kind of been looking around too, uh, but I honestly think that this came down to, I think that he might've gotten a two year deal from, from the Padres. And I think that he just wanted that extra year. I think the Braves would have brought him back at a, like a lower number for, you know, cause I just, I think that they decided to move on from him as the highest leverage guy. And, you know, again, that might come down to at his point in his career, how much money he wants. This is going to be probably among the last contracts that he's going to sign. And, you know, he kind of wants to decide the role that he's going to be in. And then maybe he just wants to, you know, live in, live on the West Coast for whatever reason. I think there's a lot of factors that kind of go into a guy who's at an advanced age like him, you know, where he wants to be long term and where he kind of wants to finish his, finish his career out. I don't think that this is something that's like completely devastating to the Braves bullpen. I think they could use like one more arm, um, particularly maybe get another righty. But I think that this it's a fairly easily solved one. It's kind of a guy that's just you know you can throw out there in the eighth um, as a righty to just be can can go against some tough right, other righty bats. But I think that the Braves bullpen is in a pretty good spot. You know maybe this means it's more likely that they bring back Shane Green. I guess because I mean it's not like people are lining up for Shane Green either. But I, I don't. I, I personally would have liked to see Melanson come back, but just kind of in a reduced role as kind of a guy that maybe isn't the, the highest leverage guy, but as a kind of a, a change of pace, you know, kind of junk baller type, you know, you can bring in, but then you can always like bring in your higher quality arms if you really need to down the line, because I'm with you that the, the strikeout rate was certainly concerning. Uh, he was really good at getting ground balls and everyone, I mean, and sometimes, you know, that, that, that knuckle curve of his and he, he his pitches were really lively. And sometimes you're like, wow, that ball was crushed. I'm glad it found a glove. Uh, and there's a few of those that happened, you know, ground ball wise that, you know, he kind of, he might've gotten bailed out a little bit because the quality of contact was a little bit better than the ground ball rate suggested. So I'm again, it, it stinks. I, I would have brought back Melanson, but in terms of overall dollar figures and stuff like that, we just don't have enough information to just say, you know, what it's going to actually be. Well, how do I put it? If if that's something that we should be upset that they didn't that the Braves did wouldn't give him, yeah. Um, but I will say though that if it came down to signing Mark Melanson or improving the bench, <laughs> they made the correct they made the correct decision. That, that's a good tease for the second half of the podcast. We'll, we'll get into that momentarily. Some stuff the Braves still have to do to fix their roster. Uh, before we get to all of that though, and some other stuff, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. All right, Eric, heck of a job by you by the way, on the uh, the natural tease to part two. Congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, I have to put the cliffhanger out there. I have to, uh, <laughs> Final thought, by the way, on Melanson, uh, goes to your point. If he, if he signs for like one year, two million, it's going to be, uh, people are going to be mad, and I, and I get it. But um, it's really just weird. This is not even Melanson necessarily uh, focused, but it's very, very strange in 2021 to hear a deal reported by essentially every outlet and then like three days later we don't know how, how much money or even how many years it is that's very strange just as a can you imagine if that happened with the braves if, if we broke the braves sign like quality player x and we didn't know for three days what the terms were like that'd be pretty maddening <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine if that's what happened with the, the, the ozuna deal 
Yeah, it's like Brave sign Marcelo Zuno, but no one knows what, nobody knows how many years or how much money. Um, Look, a certain amount of rosturbation has to happen on the internet, Brad. And if you don't give the people the the, the numbers, then they can't do that. They can't do that. They can't have their hypothetical. Well, this means we can afford this guy conversation. Instead, they just get mad because you know I don't know they're entitled to that information or something. Yeah. Um. But going back to where you're uh, where, where you teased out. The Braves still have some needs here. Obviously, you know, this is going to be, again, I think our probably our final like non-preview podcast, unless there's an emergency pod this week. And the Braves have some stuff they have to address. Uh, Mark Bowman wrote this week that the Braves might have around $10 million to spend. There is some guesswork there. Everyone agrees now in terms of people that are plugged in. They're not going to get to last year's payroll. That's That ship has sailed, it, it appears, um, at, least, at least preseason. Um, but $10 million maybe is enough to do some stuff. And like you alluded to a second ago, the bench is the worst part of the roster right now. Um, Especially when you think about the fact that with no DH, your bench matters more. And that, 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 that it's, it's, it sort of feels strange because you, you know, if you have a DH, you need, you need one more bat um, on a full-time basis. And that's true. But without the DH, you have to pinch it more and do more managing and do and utilize more of your depth. And this year, all signs point to the shorter team again, um, 26-man rosters versus 28-plus last season. So the bench, man, it's bad. Like I, I made a joke on Twitter this week that I was the number one bench bat for the Braves, and uh, it was only kind of a joke. Obviously, I'm not a good bench bat, but... Uh, it's really rough. Before we talk about like Travis Demerit, who they claimed this week, uh, old friend Travis Demerit, it really does speak to the fact that they don't have anybody on the bench that I trust. Like not one guy on the bench that I trust right now, and that's a problem. No, I mean, if you especially look look at lefty bats, it, like if you're trying to bring a lefty bat in to take advantage of a right-handed reliever, you're bringing in Johan Camargo, who is betting from his worst side doing that and who hasn't been good from either side for a while now. Yep. Or you're bringing in Ender Inciarte. That's real bad. Like, really, really bad. Your 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 best pinch hitter, honestly, on the bench right now is going to be whoever's not catching, we assume. Because if it's William Contreras, then he's, you know, he's a guy that we like as a hitter. Um, Alex Jackson is a little bit scarier as an option. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you can't say that it's, you, you can't say that it's Alex Jackson. Like, you can't say the best bat, the best batch bat is Alex Jackson based on what he's done in the, in the Major League so far. I guess right. m- maybe Contreras, and I'll, I'll defer to you on that. But the overarching point is, like, the two most famous guys on the bench are Camargo and Enciarte. <laughs> like, whew. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's not off. I mean, the, defensively, Enciarte as a, a defensive replacement in a corner or something. That, that that makes sense, right? Like that's not something that like make, like you bring him to replace Ozuna in a strange scenario where like you know Ozuna's not gonna you know bat for you know basically it's gonna be like he just batted it. You know you bring him in, obviously a better defensive player than Ozuna is out, out in the outfield. That makes sense. Offensively, they don't have those kinds of options for pinch hitters. Um, this is kind of like the like this is a bench that would honestly be improved by signing Charlie Culberson to it right now, which is not a place that you necessarily want to be. And that's just the truth. Um, and so now does that, that doesn't before anyone starts sending me angry tweets, it does not mean I think they need to sign Charlie Culberson to be on their bench or go get him or whatever. <laughs> I am saying that they need to get some quality. They need to get some more quality bats because without a DH, all of a sudden these pinch hitters matter a lot more. Um, and they, they have some options. Some guys are bringing in minor league deals and stuff like that, that again, 
there's some upside there, and I, we kind of have to wait and see on some of those. But you know, as of right now, what we know and who's on the roster, it's ugly. Yeah, I mean, Demerit's a good guy to talk about because that obviously happened this week. He, he was on, he was in Detroit. Um, obviously, a former Braves farmhand that you are very familiar with. He's 26 now, which is not like ancient, but not a prospect anymore necessarily. Um, a great athlete, multi-position guy potentially, but in the major leagues, he's not been able to make contact. He has a 35% career strikeout rate in the majors. So that's not going to get it done. Um, has power, as we've talked about at length in previous years of the podcast, but you can't rely on him. That's a, that's a pretty decent flyer, I think. I'll let you weigh on that in a second, but you know, it's it's him, it's guys they brought in on minor league deals, like you said. It's Camargo, it's Enciarte, um, it's backup catcher. They just don't have... And I know yeah, we've criticized the Braves in the last couple of years, even as they were good, um, for not be, being able to build out a bench. And this is going to be the case again now. I think we'll all be surprised if the bench is a strength. Even if they make a move or two here, it's not going to fix the bench. It will make it better, probably. But I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, part of it's probably that I'm lower on Camargo. But man, if he's your number one bench bat, like, I just don't even have a way to describe how bad that is. It's not It's not, It's not. not good. Um. And, and and by the way, if you get an injury somewhere, then you got to start one of these guys regularly. So and it's probably going to be Camargo. Yeah, I mean, he's honestly as much as I have, I'm not a not a big enthusiast about Camargo. He's probably the best player on the bench right now. Um, I mean, unless Ender finds the fountain of youth from two years ago and is suddenly like able to play defense and run again, um, there it's on the bright side. There is a way for the Braves to add the, add to that bench without too much cost, you would think. Like it doesn't have right. to be a huge splash, but that's the one area I think I think you would agree, but if you don't let me know. Um that's the one area in which like they kind of can't go into the season, I think, with their current bench. They have to do something there. Well, yeah, and I think that everyone thinks that, right? Like I, I would hope. Uh, I think Yeah. Um, now, as for as for Demerit, like there's a lot of things to like about him. You know, he's he's kind of one of those guys too that when he makes contact, he puts so much backspin on a ball that like you know you're like oh that's a that's just a, fly, a lazy fly ball and then it just keeps carrying type thing. Like it's kind of fun to watch in a lot of respects. But the the hit tool issues that he had when he was in Detroit, those are the same. The, the, he had the same problems when he was a, a farmhand with the Braves too. This wasn't a guy that was hitting 300, you know, for double A, and he just happened to get traded away because you know the Tigers seemed to like him. You know, he was kind of thrown in on a, on the deal that sent Joey Wentz out to bring in Che Green, and part of the problem with that was that his hit tool was just so suspect. Um, and again, you know, he he draws a fair number of walks. Uh, he at least he did in the minors, and there's real power there. But you know, it's just the contact the contact rates were not good, and the quality of contact was really suspect at times. Uh, a lot of it was just kind of you know pop ups, and you know, you wonder how much of that can be fixed. Now, as for a, a bench bat, if they feel like they can at least get him to reasonable, like 61 WRC plus isn't going to do it. It's just not going to I mean, no. that's not that, that's not a major league hitter. So you you have to get better than that. But as a guy that's like on your bench, that can play multiple positions. that can also, you know, run into a ball and hit some home runs every now and then. I mean, that 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 has real value. Whether or not the Braves can actually do that and get that out of him is a different question altogether. Uh, I hope so. Cause you know, Demerit's a guy that, you know, Garav was very, very excited that Demerit came back just because, you know, there's so much potential with that guy, but he's not a guy that is, I'm expecting a ton from 
especially at this stage in his career, just I feel like that the improvements that he had to make are severe enough to where it just doesn't seem likely when the guys had this much time to develop. That, yeah, that, that that's a flyer. It's, it's just is what it is. Just just for the sake of clarity, I'm going to read the names to the audience of the current players on the 40-man roster that are not projected to start. So this these are the bench options on the current 40-man roster. Mm-hmm. William Contreras and Alex Jackson at catcher. Uh, sure. Johan Camargo, Jack Mayfield, who is uh, a utility guy who can't really hit. Um, Abraham Almonte in the outfield, Travis Demerit, and Narenciarte. That's it. So that proves our point, I think. I'm just saying. Yeah, you might you might want you might want to carry three catchers if you're wanting some guys who can actually hit in the late innings. I'm just gonna throw that well, out listen, there. Snit does like to he does enjoy carrying three catchers. That's not something that he's uh, averse to doing. But uh yeah, it'll it'll be weird. We'll we'll see there, but that's that's the spot that we all I think agree. They need to do something. Uh, you know, obviously, like, it's not going to be Adam Duvall anymore. That was a pretty logical option in some ways. They didn't do that. So we'll see what, what plan B is. I guess the other thing that the Braves could do beyond the bench, um, potentially bullpen. I think I still am betting, as I have been the last several weeks, that, that they will probably sign another reliever. I could be wrong about that. Um, in reading some of the stuff that was written by Bowman and others this week, they seem to be pretty not like pessimistic about adding a bullpen piece, but they seem to be like, okay with what they have right now, which I understand. It's not like a bad bullpen. Like they're in fine shape. I would still want to add one more bullpen guy. That's just me. Um, it's not as big of a problem as the bench, but it's just the depth depth wise. You're relying a lot on guys like Minter and Matzik who were awesome last season, but there's just a lot of volatility uh, with bullpens. So I would probably add one more guy if it was me. Well, and I get that. I will say that the Braves have more guys that can compete for bullpen spots and possibly earn something, uh, earn a chance, versus the guys that the quality of the guys that they're going to be competing for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, uh, to, to your point, I, I guess probably the best the, is the best bench bat in the organization, Drew Waters, right now. <laughs> if we're being honest, like maybe I don't know. Yeah, it might. It, it very well could be. Honestly, um, you know, depending on which prospect list you're looking at, you could actually say that there's guys. They're ranked ahead of Drew Waters that probably should get a shot more than him. But, yeah, I mean, he might be uh, a switch-hitting outfielder with speed and power. I mean, Well, and obviously we would not want him to go beyond being – at least I wouldn't want want him to be in Atlanta and only be the fifth outfielder. That would not be a good use of his talent. You want him to play every day, I would imagine. But uh, that kind of speaks to the fact of how dire it is. Anyway. That's a little rough. Um, So, I mean – yeah, I guess to your point, there are other, and we'll do a full-blown bullpen preview pretty soon, but maybe there are young guys that I just don't consider that much, uh, and this is more your purview, that could be potentially interesting relievers this year, and that I'm just not thinking about, that might be adding to that depth. And the guys who they still have, like your Chris Martin, Will Smith, they're going to rely on heavily this year, obviously. Minter is a talented guy. Matzik was awesome last year. They still have, those four guys are, at least they've proven at times to be quite good. So you're not terribly shallow and maybe you get like Tukey around. Maybe Sean Newcomb appears again in the bullpen. We'll see. Maybe, maybe an average of the Luke Jackson from 2019 and the Luke Jackson from 2020 happens. Oh, Bra- the- Braves fans are so mad at you right now. So mad. At you. I know. But so like that may, that is a reasonable reliever. That is not your closer. That is not your guy, most high leverage guy, but the kind of the average between those two guys, it's still a relatively okay reliever. And that would be fine too. I mean, like, there's, there's, again, there's just guys around, you know. But beyond, and again, if you feel like that you need to have, 
you know, Bryce Wilson is your long guy or, or maybe, and he's doing spot starts here and there. And, you know, a lot of this is kind of just going to be settled in, in terms of who's going to be that fifth rotation spot under the presumed, under the presumption that there's going to be no Mike Soroka for the first month or so, you know, some of these just get played out from there. But, you know, I mean, like they, there's some, there's some guys who are like pitching prospects who are already on the 40 man roster that you feel like that if they were to win a competition, that they were winning a competition for a bullpen spot, that they were actually competing against guys who were reasonably decent at their jobs. Whereas for the bench spots, you know, the guy who comes out of that competition, you're like, well, I guess, you know, he was the one that didn't get hurt. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not, that's not, you know, a couple of these bench spots are just not, there's not exciting candidates right now. Um, maybe there ends up, the Braves end up being bold and they, you know, they, maybe they look to their minor leagues a little bit. But I think it's more likely that they just they they sign a guy who and I, again I'm not expecting you know some like crazy Dodgers level you know depth piece to be signed and added to the, the bench or anything like that. But I do think the bench is gonna be better for opening. Yeah, and I'll just name some guys again who are on the. This is again this is some similar exercise. This is the bench. Uh, sorry, the reliever options on the 40 man right now that I'm not mentioned. You have guys like Enoa. You have Patrick Weigel, who I know you like. Uh, Jacob Webb is on the 40-man still. Uh, old friend Josh Tomlin remains on the 40-man. Just keep that in mind. Um, Chad Sabatka is around still. Philip Pfeiffer is around. Uh, I'm looking at the list still. Jaseel De La Cruz, Grant Dayton, uh, Victor Areno, who they got on, on waivers. Like They have some arms. I, none of those guys are terribly exciting to me. But Plus, plus Nuka Mantuki, which I should mention. But. Yeah, and again, like, the, but there's there's upside with a lot of those guys, you know, like they, yeah. they, like you, like I don't think it's going to happen, for example. But if Chad Tabaka came into spring and was throwing a hundred and no one could pick it up, that'd be great. You know what I mean? However, sure, history has taught us that he can do that for about a month, and the rest of it is really scary. So you know, but if he's you know you get if you get the good versions of some of these guys. Those are guys that you like to have in the bullpen, and you have, and, and the core of your bullpen is already very. So if that's the case, you know, you, you if your you know fifth or sixth best bullpen guy isn't particularly good, that's not really something that I concern myself too much. However, when your primary pitch hitting option is Johan Camargo at the moment, and if anything happens to anyone on your roster, the next guy up is also Johan Camargo for any position. Really, that's problematic. And I, again, I think that's going to be the best. Yeah, that all that all makes sense. So obviously, we'll have more on, on the bullpen in the near future, but a good broad overview there quickly. Um, two more things to get to on the podcast today, one of which will be quick, but I am obliged to ask you because you were on the podcast and you were the prospect guy. Um, two of the more prominent uh, farm system rankings came out this week, Baseball America. Um, I blame Carlos Colazzo for everything there, always. And then... Um, <laughs> And then Keith Law came out as well. The Braves were fifth for BA and sixth for Keith Law. I have no opinion on this because I just don't have one. Um, that seems pretty good to me, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. W- what was your reaction to those two lists that came out? That seems about right. The The list as it stands now, uh, generally speaking, uh, is pretty top-heavy. There's going to be – I mean, you're going to lose Pache and Ian Anderson this year. They're going to lose prospect eligibility, and those are two of the top prospects in baseball, and those are no longer going to be – guys who get factored into these farm system rankings. So there's going to be a bit of a dip. Uh, I will say anyone to, who's putting too much stock one way or the other in these lists, it's worth mentioning that there was no minor league baseball last year. So yeah. in terms of <laughs> actual, actual player development and, you know, changes and, you know, seeing how guys debuted and developed and 
getting older and things like that, like there's a lot more flying blind than normal right now. So like when we put out our we put out our list, like it was was extremely low confidence. We we made a couple bets on a few guys, Michael Harris and Makai Backstrom in particular, are players that we really like a lot, and we just decided to place bets on those guys. We think because we think they're very good, um, but we are also fully anticipating probably having to rewrite rewrite the whole list and make major changes at midseason, which I think is also going to happen for a lot of people that do prospect rankings and, you know, farm system rankings and all that, because we have never seen a situation like this. We don't know what a lost season like this, what, how that impacts guys who weren't at the alternate side or were at the alternate side for that matter. We only really saw the guys that made major league debuts. And we heard some rumors about some guys from the alternate site. And beyond that, it's kind of a lot of, you know, placing bets and, you know, projecting out guys that we had see, haven't seen in a couple of years now. So the short version is I don't want anyone to really put too much stock into that sort of stuff because it's already an objective measure. And it's particularly objective now when, you know, we basically didn't have minor league baseball, you know, for the better part of 13, 14 months. Now. Yeah, I, I have no opinions generally, but. Even more so now. I, I'm just not even going to try for a while until I get to at least see a little bit of these guys or see some numbers or whatever. So I'll punt. But uh, I would say just generally speaking, having a consensus top six or seven system in, in baseball is pretty good when your team is good already. So I will, uh, I'll take that. As, a, as a, a casual minor league baseball observer, I will say that's pretty good for the Braves. <laughs> Once Jesse Franklin the Force breaks out next year. The only guy I care about, quite honestly, in the entire system is Jesse Franklin. So as long as he's good, I'm fine. Uh, if he flames out, then I'm going to have to uh, retire from baseball podcasting. So it is what it is. Um, okay, last thing. And I say this for the end on purpose because I don't think it's a big deal. But the number one topic on Braves Twitter this week was the projection systems that arrived, and specifically, I will say, the Pakoda projection for the Braves. The uh, Fangraphs came out as well. They had the Braves second. That does not bother me at all. They had them for 89 wins. You can be mad about this. I understand. It is what it is. Um, Pakoda is the one that got everybody riled up to the point where, and as a media consumer and someone who pays close attention to the media, uh, this is very fascinating to me. Pakoda's projection was so controversial for the Braves that Craig Goldstein, who is the editor-in-chief at Baseball Perspectives, who puts, who puts out Pakoda, did, like, five different interviews about it. That's crazy. Like, th- that does not happen. You, you do not have... And, and they were, like, not just Braves outlets. He was going on with national publications to explain why Pakoda was so low on the Braves. And Mike Petriello, uh, who is awesome, at MLB.com, wrote an entire piece. Again, this is a national site. Mike is a national writer. He wrote an entire piece explaining to basically just to Braves fans why the systems might not like the Braves. That is insane. Oh yeah, and I mean, like even I mean, Chris and I were getting into it because I, and this is this comes down to a certain amount of preference, right? Like I think like Chris has seemingly liked the like baseball perspective stuff significantly more than I have over recent years uh, in terms of like you know the different metrics that they have come up with over the years versus you know the ones that I prefer to use. I'm generally more of a a BA or a, or a fan graphs type of guy. I'll, I'll, I look at, I look elsewhere and I try to look at everything, but I, and this is just me personally, and this is a, this is a preference thing. I've not thought a lot of the baseball prospectus product in general the last few years. I just, I haven't really enjoyed reading the, like reading the prospect lists either. And I think that then it looks these are just, there's a lot of hands involved, but I think that there's, there, there seems to just constantly be, 
like some weird things involving big markets versus small markets and kind of how that list, how, how things are done over there and how it operates and how it looks optically. And I have not enjoyed it enough or been interested enough to research it enough to change my mind on that. Uh, but there's plenty of smart people that I do trust who really do like this stuff and, and are engaged by this stuff. So it's not something I have, like I would say, a crazy strong opinion on, other than the fact that I think that if your system consistently puts the Mets in first place and <laughs> finds the Mets in fourth place, then maybe you might want to work on how your system operates. And like for I'll, I'll, the best example I can give here, and that's why I tweeted that, you know, like whenever I look at what BP puts out, I kind of cringe a little bit because I think that some variation is good and should be expected in projection systems. If the projection systems are different, then the numbers are just going to be a little bit different here and there. Yeah. But again, you know, for fan graphs, you know, like they put the Braves second place, but it's only like a couple games away from the Mets, right? Whereas somehow BP puts together a projection system where the Mets are all of a sudden the Dodgers and are running away with the National League East by 10 games, and the the Braves are somehow the 2020 Marlins. And I just I fundamentally don't understand how a system can be designed that would create that number, especially when you factor in like in previous years. They've they've consistently underranked the the Braves. Now some of that's the Braves' fault, right? Like they were kind of you know in 2018 they kind of defied all odds and actually won the division. The 2019 team, the they they outperformed their their Pythagorean wins loss. So well, and, again, they, and they and they also punted uh, the preseason. Remember, uh, 2019 they added. The bullpen guys and Keiko midseason, and they're not incorporated in the uh, projection yeah, preseason. Exactly. So, so th- there, there's some nuance here, and like that was what got everybody mad. Honestly, more than anything, is that they, this is the fourth year in a row, and Braves fans are particularly salty about these systems right now because the Braves have won the division three years in a row. And I get it because you know they were mad at us for picking the Braves like second, uh, and uh, and we were even higher than those systems. So I, I get it. Yeah, on that I, level. And again, if it's close, I don't care. You know what I mean? Yep. But I do, I do, I do think there's something going on with Pakoda that is overvaluing, and it's weird because it's only a few teams. It's like, like the Angels have been weird a few years. The Mets are consistently weird under their models, and that makes me, it just makes me suspicious, right? Like it makes me suspicious that the outlier teams happen to reside in these big markets, or they happen to be, you know, like what would be media friendly in a lot of ways because. It seems like that they read the like the scouting reports on what Noah Syndergaard is supposed to be over an entire season, and ignoring the fact that he hasn't been able to stay healthy. <laughs> I, am, like, I, I would just say this: I am not, I am not suspicious of that. Uh, I get why you are because of what you just laid out. I think they just have a system that undervalues the Braves, and it's just it's not on purpose. People like I, I'm not friends with Craig Goldstein. I don't know the man. I know he's smart, and it was kind of funny to see him have to do the media tour. He did the he did the whole quote, um, which you're currently highlighting in our document, which which made me laugh. Um, he said on the record that the projection for his own system, which by the way he did not design, but he is the he is the EIC perspective. He said the system feels five wins or so light. That was a quote, and it also feels a comparable amount heavy on the Mets. So that basically brings the Braves and the Mets back to level playing field. So there's just some noise here, and like I'm not mad about this. I know how this works, and I know that it's just. It's a quirk. It's, I read it and I look at it and I just go, ugh. Oh yeah, like, it, it's brutal. I, I mean, this is one of those ones that's so bad that everyone kind of had the same reaction of like, okay, what what are we even doing here? Like, for instance, oh, I had I had some I had I had some BP apologists mad at me. Well, like, that's and, I, and that's fine. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I'm inclined to say, look, 
one weird projection does not make a system like useless. Like I'm not I'm not gonna be the guy who comes down here and just like says Pakoda is like ridiculous and terrible. But this proje- that projection of the Braves does not make sense. Like the one that's craziest to me, honestly, of all of them, like the winds are too low. It's eighty two point four, whatever it is. The well, one that the one that got me was the five point four percent chance to win the National League East. It's like that is unthinkably ridiculous. Obviously, the Braves might not win the East this year. That is in play. To give them a five percent chance to win the division this year is like, what are we doing? Like, it's not the the, the ninety six wins for them. Like again, though the win totals for the Braves, I mean, whatever. If you put them in fourth place, but everyone has a like mid eighties wins, that, that would have been better. <laughs> if they had been in fourth, that, that would that would have gotten a lot of headlines. But if it had been like eighty six and a half wins in fourth, it'd be like, okay, that seems a little yeah. low, but whatever. Like, I don't even know what your model could be looking at and look at the Mets, even with the addition of Lindor, and go, you know what? This is the team that's going to be. I just I don't understand, and I think that it's. I, I just I don't know what I don't know enough about their model to like make a specific objection. But there's been a lot of things, and again, like Craig Goldstein's a very smart guy. There's a lot of incredibly smart people that come out of baseball perspectives. So like I don't have like this isn't like a a, a dog them type of thing. But I just I I have trouble just I I I see that and I see what the win totals are. Again, not the, the the placing doesn't really matter. And by the way, none of this shit matters. No, like, let's just get that out there because this is just a projection. And you know, at best, this is like bolt and board material type stuff. You're like, oh, we'll show them, you know, that type of thing, and it drives discussion. But I have a tough time even like having discarding a discussion with. So you know, the starting point of the discussion is that the Braves are going to finish 12 games behind the Mets in 2021. I, I, I that that's not a starting place for a discussion for me. I'm just like, wow. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that mesmerized or amazing, amazing Avenue decided to put together a model to, for the NL East or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, by, go, the way, by the way, I, by the way, I love amazing. I love amazing Avenue. By the way, those guys are great. Like, that's not, this is just me just picking a little bit. Um, but that, like, that's my initial thought. That doesn't make me feel like there's a, a place for a discussion to be had. Now, I'm glad Craig may, did make the rounds because again, he's smart. He talked to a lot of smart people. Uh, Mike in particular is great. Um, and, and Craig, Craig's quotes were all reasonable. That's the thing. Like if you read what he says, he knows the system is bad on this. Like it's not like, at least, at least in his mind, he thinks the system is too low on the Braves, too high on the Mets. So like, it's one of those things where he, my, my, my last point on this, and I'll let you finish is that Pakoda, they're not changing the system to make the Braves look bad. There's this like thought that, and I know I, I get it, but like, they're just plugging in numbers, man. At the end of the day. It's a, it's a system and you can, you can be mad at the system. I totally get it, but they're just plugging in numbers. And it's like when the, when the, when the guy in charge of the site is like, eh, miss that one. <laughs> it's just kind of hilarious to me. I don't know. It's funny. So, so again, like the, 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 the sum of the work as of now, including the follow-up pieces after that is, is much more interesting to me. The, Pe- the Petriello piece is great. I'm, I'm going to link to the I'm going to link to the Mike Petriello piece in the Talking Shop um, yes, post for this podcast because it's very honestly read that piece. You may you may well, not love he, it all if you're a Braves fan, but if you haven't read that already, Mike does a really good job laying it out. I'm sure there'll be people that are mad about certain things that he says or gets into about the projections, like, but it lays out a good rationale or at least an explainer of like why a system might be low on the Braves, which is all you can really ask for. I will say a couple things on this. One is that if your system is consistently wrong about certain types of teams or certain types of metrics, and again, this is coming from somebody who has, I would say, a cursory understanding of how Pagoda works in particular. There's a lot of projection systems, and frankly, you know, knowing all the nuances of kind of how they or 
under or overvalue certain things is not something that I delve into constantly. Um, and it's an ever-changing thing. But I will say that if you're consistently wrong about the same teams or the same type of thing, an, an adjustment probably needs to be made. And I don't have I, – I openly question when content is put out, which is obviously going to generate a lot of controversy, and then going back and saying, yeah, that's probably not right or, yeah, that's probably heavy. Like it feels a lot about the, the stupid fan graphs list that I end up shouting at somebody – and you were there. You remember watching me do this. Ryan Weber. Yep, yep. The, the Ryan Weber, John Gant, no Colby Allard, no Austin Riley, no Mike Soroka list, where I'm shouting at this guy that has written a pod, written list, and he basically just put out a list bare, without a proper explanation of methodology and then has to go back and then goes back and makes changes to the list. I don't think it makes the system – I guess what I'm trying to say is that what happened in that situation – is that it was almost worse that he went back and edited the list because I shouted at him for three hours. Because if there's a process that's in place and it's transparent and understandable and logical from start to finish, then I feel like that you can explain that in a way where people will go, okay, well, when you look at this list, this is why these differences exist. But because there's these weird outliers and then you have to like go back and write four articles and do a bunch of interviews and explain <laughs> you know, why, you're, why you're, you're, your system hates the Braves and loves the Mets and has done so for four seasons now, like I just I openly question them like, well, what's the point of even doing the projections if, you're, if it's consistently wrong? Like, what is the purpose of your system, the, a projection system, that consistently can't get this right or at least get reasonably close because, you know, projection systems get wrong stuff wrong all the time, right? Like the Braves haven't got their, their win total has not been pre predicted by a projection system ever, you know, and it's, I don't think it's been particularly close for the last few years, again, because they've been kind of over, they've been playing above their heads a bit and changes happen mid season, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of part of the fun of it. Right. But like when you're kind of, consistently getting it wrong like this you, you i just i kind of wonder what the point is and it just makes me less likely to engage with it yeah I get that's that. all it is and then that's all it is is content and none of this like you know no like no one in that braves locker room is looking at their percota production oh well okay i i, I will say this i don't I, I don't agree with that not 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 in terms of like being uh, serious about it but if, uh, you, don't, if you don't think that snit will put that up on the board somewhere like yeah. Braves projected to be in fourth. Yeah, I mean that that's gonna be, that's gonna be used. I, I would imagine. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but I think that that's a pretty easy fodder point if you're a manager to be like, all right, no one believes us again. Uh, let's go out. Let's go out and prove them wrong. That's like one of the old tricks in the book, obviously. So yeah, I guess the story isn't written, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I no, I I agree with a lot. I mean, I, obviously, you're further into uh, the the skepticism mode with. Pakoda specifically as I am, which I understand. I think Braves fans would be more like where you are on this one. I just don't care at the end of the day also, but it's just, it was more fascinating to me. Like, obviously the system's too low on the Braves. Everyone agrees on this. That's like, I didn't see a single person other than maybe a Twitter egg somewhere that came on and was like, yep, nailed it. Like no, no one did that. So <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just one of those things where, yeah, there was content. Um, I just wasn't outraged, but uh, it was a lot of interesting talking points that were put together after it. And again, I will I will link to the Mike Petriello piece, uh, which I thought was oh, yeah, revealing. Yeah, Mike's so great. He did a good job on that, and uh, that'll probably wrap it up for me. And again, don't 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 say anything mean to baseball perspective and Greg and Craig and all those guys. They work hard. Like that's yeah, not what I'm trying to get out here. Yeah, it's 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 not anybody's it's not my fault thing for sure. that did that either. Like. I don't think, in fact, I know, like, Pakoda's been around for a long time. Didn't Nate Silver create Pakoda? Like, that, it's been a long, it's been around for a long time. 
Like, yeah. I'm yeah. sure that, I'm sure they've tweaked it to some degree. I'm sure the people there have some have some uh, inputs oh, with it. A lot of, there's a lot of baseball front offices that have BP. Um, yes, for, like a bunch of the Indians guys, and you know. My my my, own, my whole point there was that Craig Craig Olsen did not did not create Pakoda, so like it's not anybody that's still there. That's like that's just their system, and it is what it is. So, um, all right, Eric, that's probably enough on that because it was uh, at the end of the day, I believe you said it was uh, it was meaningless, and I agree with you. Um, if you have any final thoughts, please share them. We've done you know fifty fifty three minutes and counting. We could do like ten minutes on Nate Jones being signed to a minor league contract, former. Uh, reliever for the white Sox, but I, I got nothing on that so could we though brad could we i mean we probably could i have some numbers for you but we'll save those for later uh no uh, i just want to say thanks to all of you for you know listening to the podcast during the off season and supporting the con- content you know it's this these times are particularly difficult for generating content we're all kind of in wait and see mode for a lot of things and we've you know done our absolute best to kind of make things interesting during this off season uh but now we're getting into the season and you know chris has a really really uh, intensive preview content schedule coming up. It's going to start rolling out, you know, basically starting this, the, the end of next, this coming week. Um, and there's going to be podcasts that are going to kind of line up with that, with that content, both uh, the talking shop podcast, as well as the road to Atlanta podcast, because we've got some prospect type preview content coming up as well. Uh, and when that pod, when that content starts rolling out on the site and the written word, you're going to hear my voice along with Garrett Grav, Matt, whoever I can round up. Uh, on the road to Atlanta side, uh, as well as Brad. And I'm assuming I'll probably get around, you know, roped into a couple of those podcasts in addition to Scott as well. So it's going to be kind of a, you know, a coordinated effort to get this 2021 season preview content to you guys in whatever form you prefer. So just make sure you're keeping an eye out on the site. You know, again, we're a lot of this is going to be kind of some prep work for us this coming week to get this work done and ready for you guys, but it's going to start rolling out. It's going to be start rolling out and it's going to be heavy over the next few weeks as we kind of start previewing what the 2021 season is going to be uh, in addition to the normal content of, you know, both breaking news as well as kind of longer form content uh, as those topics become, you know, relevant and you know, available to us. So, you know, things are starting to gear back up for us and we really appreciate all you guys for support. Yeah, that's well said. And uh, again, it's happening this week. Stuff's going to be ramping up on this podcast. We will do our normal preview stuff, you know, bench, bullpen, lineup, rotation, and at least when we get closer, uh, and we'll probably harken back to Pakoda at that point. I will, I will fire Eric up once again with Pakoda projections at that point in time. Um, whatever it is, whatever needs to happen, but please subscribe to the podcast. If you get, if you subscribe, subscribe to the feed, you will get this, this pod and road to Atlanta all in one place for the low, low price of $0. So, uh, please leave a five-star review if you enjoy the podcast and also just tell your friends, read the written work as well. And uh, thanks to Eric. You can follow him at Leprechaun on the Twitter machine. You can follow me if you would like Hawks takes at BT Roland. Uh, follow and the Mich- site. What do, Mich- what'd you, <laughs> what'd you say? And Michigan takes, you know. Yeah, occasionally. Uh, I've, been, I've been trying to be more disciplined, uh, which is wrong, the, stuff that I co- the stuff that I cover mostly. Um, and right now it's basketball season. Jim Harbaugh takes. That's what we want, Brad. Oh, Lord, you don't want that. Jesse Franklin, maybe. Um, I'm... I might. Where do you think he's gonna be? Uh, just, just tell me. Where is Franklin gonna start the season? Where, tell me that, so I can move there now. Like if... <laughs> well, you actually don't have to move anywhere because it'll either be Rome, it'll be at Augusta, Augusta, or Rome. All right. Because, 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 because Augusta's a low A affiliate, and Rome's the high A, so you're in the you're in the best spot. Sign me up. I will commute to wherever I need to commute to. I have friends in both places. I can crash with after games. It'd be great. Um, at any rate, though, please subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, Eric, for joining me, and we'll see you all next time.